I'm Chris Motes, and this is Faith in Politics. On this broadcast, we range from the soul to the state as we cultivate those virtues and explore those principles that help us live well as faithful Catholics in this great land. Welcome back for another episode, folks. We are in the month of November. I hope that you have a deer in the freezer right now. We're just uh, in the middle of deer season, as I have uh, just learned from uh, our guest today, as we were chatting a little bit ahead of the show. Um, pleased to welcome Dr. John Shaw from, from Aberdeen. We've both got the beards. So if you're going to watch this on YouTube later, <laughs> later you're going to see it. Uh, he's just marked his one-year anniversary with uh, with the deer season beard. And sadly, mine has got to go. I've got guard duty tomorrow, so it's uh, I've got to I've got to clean my face. Dr. Schaff, welcome back to the program. Thanks for having me, Chris. The sacrifices you make for the service of our country <laughs> uh, are, are are greatly appreciated. That's right. Uh, yeah. You got to shave it on top and on the face. Gotta I know. Keep it short, huh? It's it's right. And actually, you know, as as social styles come and go, like men's style, if you will, like. I remember there being a period of time I was in college and I was in like ROTC and like longer, like hockey hair was kind of like yeah. the men's style. And I was just like, yeah. so uncool, but I've been yep. very grateful that like, you know, somewhat shorter hair has been in vogue for men for yeah. a while now. So I'm, I'm still good, but I got to shave the face. Um, I can't keep it warm as I'm up in the deer yep. stand, but, uh, yep. which is, which is why I did it originally. <laughs> yes. uh, it's, it gets cold out there. Yeah. Your chin gets uh, chapped. Sometimes. That's right. So and then, then I just decided to keep it last year. That's uh, right. I kept, kept my deer beard. Okay. So we've got a, we've got a great topic for today. We're going to talk about Archbishop Gomez's uh, reflections on the church and America's new religions, uh, an address, uh, that he gave to the Congress of Catholics and public life. These Congresses are kind of these international gatherings, movements of Catholics bound up around uh, uh, a spiritual or sh- social topic. We've maybe heard of Congresses, international Congresses on the Eucharist, um, a Marian Congress, et cetera. The bishops of the United States are planning for a, a big Eucharistic Congress in 2024. They've, they've just announced it'll be in Indianapolis. But this was a Congress of Catholics and public life so we can think of, you know, Catholic politicians or, or citizens that are interested in, in, the, in the life of their, their polity. Um, very interesting talk. Uh, I just penned a little summary of it for the West River Catholic, because I think it's really important. You know, a lot of people have got questions about this topic. Um, so that's what we're going to talk about today. Doc, Dr. Schaff, but one of the things I maybe would be helpful to start out with is maybe to just like define some terms, because... Sure. Uh, we want to know what we're talking about. Archbishop Gomez uses kind of this um, mix of phrases that he broadly identifies as new secular ideologies, but but he says you know these these go by different names. We were, we're talking about political correctness, identity politics, cancel culture, intersectionality this is more of an academic thing, wokeness. I think that's more in people's lexicon in the last year or two. Yep. Um, and sometimes, and this is a really bad twist on like an authentic Catholic teaching, but even this term social justice. So, um, yeah. wh- can we, is it possible to, to maybe give like a, um, a concise definition of what it is we're talking about when, when we talk about what our, the archbishop identifies as new secular ideologies? Yeah. And I don't, I, I'm not sure how new it is. It's, it's one of the, the, the minor criticisms I, ha- I have of uh, Archbishop Gomez is I think these things are long in coming. Uh, you know, uh, if you, Chris, or maybe some of your listeners are familiar 
with uh, Charles Taylor, the Canadian philosopher, in his book Secular Age. You know, uh, Taylor draws some of this back all the way you know, to, to the rise of the Enlightenment. So we're talking, say, 500 years ago uh, or so. And he, and he notes this shift from uh, what he calls the poorest self, a self that is open to the transcendent where the transcendent can, can g- goes through you, right? You are a porous person as opposed to the buffered self, which he says is the modern self where you know, transcendence sort of comes and bounces off of you. You think of yourself as being, the world is all there is. Material is 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 all there is. Uh, even our great Catholic uh, writer, Flannery O'Connor, you know, right in the 1950s said, you know, nihilism is the gas we breathe. It's the air we breathe. I think these things have been in in the air for a while, but I think if I was going to uh, maybe sum it up is I think what all these have in common is they do borrow from a kind of common uh, Marxist um, uh, viewpoint uh, that s- separates people into groups of kind of there there are there are, these people are oppressors they're, they're peop- these people are oppressed and so you've got good guys and bad guys I think anyone in the Catholic tradition should have their you know, their, their ears attentive to this uh, because this is hopelessly Manichaean uh, in one sense of so this division. Uh, so it's the Manichaean heresy, um, ancient heresy, uh, uh, first adopted by, by Augustine, later he refutes it, right? Augustine was a Manichaean, then later rejected it. So if you know you're Augustine, you know the Manichaean heresy, which says that there's a, a, a good power and a bad power and they're, they're fighting each other. There's you know, black and white, uh, fighting each other, but 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 the problem with this is it sets up a potential for continual grievance, right? And this is this is hardly good for political, religious, social harmony. Yeah. Um, and so people who see themselves as as good get to set them up themselves up against potential oppressors. And so for Marx, it's the dictatorship of the proletariat. Right. Yeah. And this becomes justified because the proletariat or the oppressed, whoever they are, considering, you know, depending on which angle people are coming from, they're considered free of sin. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with them. Yeah. While the, the, the bourgeois, the oppressors and whoever the oppressors are, they're wholly guilty. Yeah. Uh, and so what they fail to grapple with, you know, Alexander Solzhenitsyn famously said the line between good and evil lies down the center of every person's heart yeah. is that we're all sinners. And so all of us at one time or another are oppressors and we are oppressed. If you, if you want to adopt that language, we all, we both partake of it. And so all of us <laughs> are, we need to forgive and we are in need for forgiveness. And, um, and so we, we're all in need of redemption. There's not this group that's wholly good and this group that that's, that's wholly bad. Yeah. And, and the archbishop, specifically mentions this as having some foundation in Marx. Marx, of course, I mean, it was largely, he's talking about social classes when you say Mm -hmm. the proletariat and the bourgeois, but but what we're seeing today, and this is something that the archbishop is expressing much worry about, is that it's, it's it's not just like economic class we're talking about, but we're talking about sort of classifying human beings according to all sorts of different um, attributes. You know, whether it's mm-hmm. their social class, their skin color, their their gender, 
Um, and the list goes on and on. Um, so, hey, one of the things that that he mentions is that, I mean, and this is, he kind of, it's it's kind of brief, but he mentions, yeah, this uh, these ideas, maybe maybe our society, it's already been like this, this change has already occurred, but maybe what's happened is in the last year and a half, things have just accelerated. And, yeah. and it's like, now, okay, we were just not really seeing this, but now it's like we're seeing this, this boil. And he, he points specifically to the pandemic. He points to the, um, the riots in, in large cities across the country mm-hmm. in 2020. Would, do you agree with that, that assessment as, as being some of these events that sort of provoked an acceleration? Well, I, certainly I think that what you've got is, you get, uh, let me use a, a, a metaphor, um, is you had, uh, and th- this will be timely because it's going to be a virus metaphor. Um, you've got this virus that's sort of latent in the body politic, you might say. Um, and then what it takes is the right kind of conditions for it to burst forth. And so these ideas that Archbishop Gomez is talking about, I think have been around uh, for a long time. I think probably most explicitly since you, you've, you've got kind of radical academic thinkers of the 1960s who talk in this kind of language, sort of the rise of what we now call critical theory. Um, this idea that uh, society is stratified between these oppressors and the oppressed and the oppressed have the right to attack the, their oppressors and justice is all on the on one side and it's all uh, against the the other side um and i think that's been percolating sort of through intellectual academic circles uh and and, and in some cases very popular in those circles and then you get the, the right set of circumstances and boom it infects uh uh the the body politic and and so this idea that um uh uh, even the language you use can be hurtful. Um, yeah. Uh, can't you know uh, the, the the idea that um, you know, there there's a famous line out of the 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 French student revolutions of 1968, borrowing from the the French thinker Herbert Marcuse. Uh, it's it's forbidden to forbid. Yeah. Um, and so people should you know, so people should be transgressive. The whole point is that society's structures are laced with oppression. Anything that tears down the traditional structures of society is good. So uh, attack the church, attack the family, attack traditional gender roles, um, attack any kind of hierarchy, attack the law, right? attack the politics. And so you need to transgress, you need to transgress these rules and anything that forbids you from doing that should be forbidden. Anything that tells me I cannot transgress is itself forbidden. Uh, and so it, it becomes intolerant uh, of anything that anything that counters this revolutionary mindset gets defined as hate. And we can forbid that because it tells us that we can't we the revolutionaries can't do what we want. Well, and, and within that too, there's like this very powerful draw, and this is something that, that the Archbishop writes about. It's main that I think one of the main points of what he's writing is that, that we need to understand this, um, the, these ideologies as really as pseudo-religions. And, mm-hmm. and he, 
here's what he, how's he, how he sort of encapsulates it is that they provide people with an explanation for events and conditions in the world. They offer a sense of meaning, a purpose for living and the feeling of belonging to a community. Even more than that, like Christianity, these, these new movements tell their own story of salvation. That's, that's it. Those are his words. And he kind of goes on to like, there's actually, there's kind of a bracing challenge to Christianity within this. They are seeking to, to subvert it and replace it, but it's really twisted, but there's actually a desire for kind of a sense of justice within it, Mm -hmm. which is attractive and compelling uh, at a certain level. Now we have to be clear about the flaws, the errors and the dangers, but there's, there's this draw who doesn't want justice. In that sense, it's an evangelical opportunity because I think what you know, the Archbishop uh, Gomez he 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 uses words like uh, like utopianism and the desire to build a kingdom of heaven on earth, right? Yeah. And so, like you're saying, there is this there is this longing for for meaning, and we probably should be surprised as we talk about the historical moment uh, that that Archbishop Gomez is is talking about. You know, we said what you know, the 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 one of the fastest, if not the fastest growing religious category in America is the so-called nuns, the you know N O N E S, uh, the nuns, people who have no religious affiliation, which doesn't mean they're not religious or even theistic, possibly, but they don't ascribe to any particular religious tradition, and this is particularly true, of course, amongst the the young, the millennials. And then whatever we're, we're calling them now, the Gen Ys, the iGen, um, uh, the people who are probably you know, teenagers to their mid-20s today, uh, the generation right after the millennials, they're seeking. Whatever happened, they did not imbibe, uh, for lack of a better term, a traditional uh, religious experience. They, they don't, they, they're not attached to any kind of uh, religious community, but they're also seeking meaning in their lives. And, and maybe they latch they latch on to this, and there is this there is this promise within uh, uh, this ideology, whatever you want to call it, wokeism. You know, I guess we can use that. It's 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 become kind of it's one of those terms that's so overused now. You almost hate to use it, but I, I guess for lack of a better term, we'll say wokeism. Um, uh, is that there there is this a, a attempt at, at kind of to cleanse oneself. Yep to be pure, think of the popularity of, of the, 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 the white fragility, who, the person who confesses his sins, right? Um, uh, the, the idea that, um, that through, if, if we create the right social structures, we can have complete justice here on earth. There is a kind of religious longing there. And, and you've got an ideology that sort of tries to make sense of the modern world and gives people uh, some kind of hope. And so I think it, it is a, a quasi-religious experience. It, but the, 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 of course, at, at the heart of it, the problem, Chris, at the heart of it is that it's seeking redemption without a redeemer. Yeah. And, and, and that's what makes it dangerous is that redemption is a purely political redemption. And, and, and that, is, that is going to be barren uh, in its output. Yeah. And it seems too that it, it denies, you alluded to this earlier, but it, it denies to an extent too the, the universal need for redemption that actually we, every, we, all, yeah. we all need a Messiah so, so that according to these ideologies, if you 
or a member of a particular class of persons, however that's defined, um, you know, the, a, a victim class, you actually don't need, you don't personally need a savior. What you need is yeah. your, your salvation, if you will, is you're going to come through this fight for power. Yep. Yep. And I, that's what I think is, that's a bit, that, that last point you made about power, I think maybe is a salient point, Chris, because, um, you know, what happens when, um, when you take God out of the mix, right? I'll, I'll cite Flannery O'Connor again. She's on my mind because I'm teaching her in one of my classes. Uh, so we just got done reading uh, O'Connor's, maybe her most famous short story, A Good Man is Hard to Find, mm. right? where this mass murderer called the misfit says Jesus rose. He rose people from the dead and he shouldn't have done it. Right. He shouldn't have done it because he, and he says, if in fact, I've got the book, I think right here. In fact, I'm going to read it. Uh, luckily, please. I had it yeah, yeah, please. this is, this is what the, uh, this is what the, uh, the, the, the misfit, the misfit says, he says, give me two seconds. Yeah. He says, Jesus was the only one that ever raised the dead and he shouldn't have done it. He thrown everything off balance. If he did what he said, then it's nothing for you to do, but to throw away everything and follow him. And if he didn't, then it's nothing for you to, to do, but enjoy the few minutes you got left the best way you can by killing somebody or burning down his house or doing some other meanness to him. The misfit knows if Jesus is who he says he is, just like Jesus says to the rich young man, throw everything down, follow me. And if he isn't, then do whatever you want. Then the only truth left is the truth of power. Yeah. And if you can kill somebody and get away with it, do it. If you can take their stuff, do it. If you can be mean and get away with it, do it. Yeah. And so the problem is, is once you divorce this quest for justice, which, which people, of course, rightly want, that it tells you there's, there's a, a kernel there uh, of goodness, once you divorce that um, from the faith, from, from Jesus Christ and the true possibility of redemption, you attempt to get redemption through the application of political power. And so even within the concept of uh, one of the phrases you used, I think, at the beginning, Chris, that you called an academic phrase was intersectionality. Yeah. Um, and so if um, all human relationships are relationships of power— Right. And they're oppressor and oppressed. Certain categories are oppressors. Certain categories are oppressed. Well, the more categories I can check off that I'm oppressed, I'm black, I'm a woman, I'm gay, I'm you know, whatever. That gives me extra points. And so all those oppressed categories intersect. Yes. Right? That's what puts the intersect into intersectionality. Yes. Uh, and give me greater power. Right. I have greater power because I have more oppressed bona fides, so to speak. Right. But but can we ever actually then get to you know, can we be in communion? Can we come together when the essential view of our relationships with one another is one of power as opposed to a relationship of love? Yes. Right. How can how can I enter into a community, into communion with with people as a body that loves one another if I'm if we see each other as enemies? Right. I, that's a great question. I mean, is there not to take a dour turn here, but is there a possibility for doing this? Can we have 
And these, this is what you know, France, Pope Francis writes about in Fratelli Tutti, but brotherhood without God. I mean, is, is, this, is this even possible to actually achieve a semblance of um, coherence and order and uh, a social life that makes sense if we're yeah. stripped completely of the transcendent destiny of, of man? Well, there's uh, someone, I forget who it was. It might've been the scholar, Ralph Wood. Uh, I, I keep bringing this back to O'Connor, but but in interpreting the, uh, the the misfit, this character in this story, a good man is hard to find. He said, the, the misfit is a Nietzschean who can't even spell Nietzsche, right? Uh, Frederick Nietzsche, you know, the, the, the late 19th century German philosopher who pronounced the death of God. He said, you know, God is dead and we have killed him. I should note, by the way, Nietzsche did not explicitly say that God doesn't exist. He just says God doesn't matter anymore. Mm. But but Nietzsche's one of Nietzsche's theories is that once God ceases to become an important uh, cultural fulcrum, if you will, yeah. right? if once religion is sort of pushed to the side, and especially the Christian God is pushed to the side, basically what Nietzsche says is you can't have Christian morality without Christianity. Yeah. And so the notion that we're going to get rid of Christianity and you know, this this notion that what we've had for 2000 years is these uh, benighted, superstitious uh, buzzkills who keep telling us what to do. Yeah. Once we get that, once we get rid of that, we can be free and there'll be harmony and tolerance, liberality. Nietzsche says, no, it's going to be it's going to be brutal. Yeah out there now he doesn't so much care about that he doesn't he doesn't he, he he's kind of fine with that in fact he says this is going to open up new bounds of human creativity huh. but we shouldn't we shouldn't lie to ourselves that that this is that it's going it's going to be it's going to be brutal you know it's I, i'm kind of struck um i'm i'm reading after virtue right now with our mutual friend yeah. uh chris bergwald yeah. and this is this is something too that um mcintyre points out in the book is that it's we're, we're kind of entering this time. He, he makes, he draws an analogy to, um, you know, discovery by Europeans of Polynesian Islanders in like the 19th century who have all these cultural taboos um, mm-hmm. about eating, about relations between the sexes, about all sorts of things in culture, but they have, they're just taboos. They have no idea what the purpose is. And yep. he, he says it's, it's become the same for us because we've severed, we no longer understand the Christian, and ultimately he's pointing to Aristotle too, that things have a telos, like this sort mm-hmm. of internal ordering according to the way in which they are created, in, in, in accord with the way in which they are in reality. But we, we've lost that orientation towards the, towards the good. And so for that reason, we've got all these moral strictures now after 2000 years of a Christian world mm-hmm. that just don't make sense to us. And they become yep. like taboos that they yep. have no meaning or logic. And we're, we become very, you know, ready to dismiss them. Yeah. And so, it, and it makes it hard to ground anything because then what happens is once people start to transgress those taboos, once they start to say, well, why do we have this taboo or that taboo? We find it difficult to defend those. Right. I mean, look how look how quickly marriage sort of fell apart. Yes. Uh, in America, you go from marriages between a man and a woman, and within twenty years, that's destroyed. And the law of the land says says otherwise because 
once you have to start making the argument in some ways yeah. uh, for why marriage is between a man and a woman, you sort of lost the argument. Um, just like nobody goes around arguing why we shouldn't kill each other because it's so internalized. Yeah. Um, but then once, once you've lost the foundation for certain, for certain things, it becomes hard. It becomes hard to defend them. Um, especially as, as people lose this notion that, I mean, what is the ultimate telos? The ultimate telos or end the direction of mankind is towards God and to be one with God. And once you've lost that, um, then it's hard to say. It's interesting you, you bring up uh, Alistair McIntyre because what it makes me think is just last night I was watching an Alistair McIntyre video, as as people will do, yes, because um, uh, he just gave an important talk at Notre Dame on human dignity. I would encourage people, uh, including yourself, the two Chris's, uh, Chris Motes and Chris Bergwall, uh, to uh, uh, to take a look at that because it's it's really bracing and challenging. But this is his point is that. Your human dignity comes, and he's drawing this from Thomas. He's, this isn't McIntyre. He's drawing it from, from uh, Thomistic thought. Is your human purpose, your human end, is, is that you are the kind of animal who can be with God, who, who can know God and love God. And that's what gives you, that's what gives you dignity. Yes. Uh, versus, versus a horse who doesn't have, uh, doesn't have that capacity to, to know and love God the way the human person does. Yeah, I'll actually I'll put the link to that to that video up in the show notes so people can go w- watch it. Uh, I haven't watched it yet. I think our friend uh, Chris Bergwald has. I've, yeah. I've read a little bit about the talk, and it it does seem really interesting. It's intriguing. Yeah. So, hey, one thing you said just um, a couple of a minutes ago, talking about Nietzsche, was he saw this as sort okay, the death of God, um, meaning God doesn't matter. Great mm-hmm. new opportunities for creativity, and that to bring it back to the spiritual insights that uh, Archbishop Gomez is bringing to the, to the discussion, he brings up Pentecost. He sort of mm-hmm. calls us back to Pentecost, you know, it, which is this event in which, you know, okay, the apostles have received the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the upper, upper room, and they go out into the streets of Jerusalem, and there are thousands of people that are gathered there from every nation. There's this diversity of people present who all receive mm-hmm who all hear the proclamation of the good news in their own language. There's this unifying force of the Holy Holy Spirit. And of course, mm-hmm. we understand the Holy Spirit as veni creator, that the Holy Spirit is a creative, a creative force. So I don't know, I receive that, um, this exhortation as like one of great hope that we need not be afraid or like, you know, um, cranky, in the face of this new challenge, but really confident in the great gift that we possess as Christians. We've got the Holy Spirit, man. Like yeah. um, this great force for creativity. So I don't know. I don't know if, if that maybe leads us into a question of, do you have any thoughts about what's, what's next? And yeah. um, I want your answer here, but just for our listeners who are tuning in on the, uh, the radio we're coming up to the end here. If you've enjoyed this conversation on the radio and you want to listen to our final couple minutes here, I want you to go and download the podcast and, and you can catch the rest of the conversation. Um, and, you know, we're, we're always trying to just like explore thoughts here and, and, and exercise our minds. This is a bit, can, can be a bit of a sensitive topic, but the whole point here is to just like seek truth, goodness, and beauty. Um, and the church calls us to rise above some of the, some of the fray of our day. So until next time, radio listeners live well, we'll catch you next week. 
And now back to our, our podcast listeners, Dr. Schaff, any prognostications about what the, the road ahead looks like for our country as we grapple with these pseudo-religions? Well, obviously, you know, Chris, nothing is written in stone, right? Who knows what the future holds? Well, I guess God does. Um, but, but other than that, we do not know what the future holds. Um, but you know, like I said, we, we can sit here and be cranky, and, and we're more than capable of doing that. Yes. Um, but, but I think there is an opportunity. You know, people look at, you know, it, within American history, there are various great awakenings. Right. There's the first great awakening was colonial in the colonial times. There was a second great awakening in the 1820s, 30s. Some people call the rise of the social gospel um, uh, in the 1910s, 20s as kind of a third great awakening. And what do people sometimes call our age? The great awakening. Mm. Maybe this is a kind of new religious moment. Um now it's a religious moment that is that has errors in it and might have uh, certain fundamental problems, namely that it's it's essentially secular. I mean, start there, and, then, and I think it all flows from from there. But as I was saying, you know, again, I, I'm around young people all the time in my job, and I think there's a yearning. Mm. Uh, they they know that something is missing yes uh we, we we live i mean we we look at we look at the data amongst young people about anxiety and depression and um uh, drug use and that's not just amongst young people but you know, it's just interesting uh, i was listening to something the other day made an amazing point that you know in the 1980s you know where according to the person i was listening to there was more drug use in the 1980s than there is today but no, the, the the cool drug of choice, you even see this in certain Hollywood movies, the 1980s was cocaine. Uh, and what's the point of cocaine? The co cocaine is a stimulant, which um, is meant to give you a more vibrant experience of life. Well, what, what are our drugs of choice now? Our drugs of choice now are opiates, which is a, re a withdrawal from life. Yeah. Life is hard. I don't want to experience this anymore because it's too hard. Yeah. And so I think, you know, this is a, there is, I think uh, there are indications religiously and sociologically that we live in an age which hungers, which realizes it's, it's missing something. And that gives us an evangelical moment because again, your, your, your recitation of the, the, the true, the good and the beautiful, which I know is so important to our, to our own Bishop, Bishop DeGroote. Um, if that's what we got, if that's what we've got to offer, and if we have faith in the power of that, when we offer it to people, they're going to take hold. At least some of them will. Uh, and and so while we can be, we we should be anxious about the times in which in which we live. Um, anxious times are times of opportunity as well. Yes, um, we're, we're not simply content. Um, and satisfied with what we have, people are are looking uh, for something. So who knows uh, what could happen? You know, in like I say, in, in uh, 19, 1990, no one would have thought that in twenty twenty one we'd have same sex marriage. What a cultural revolution! Um, 
why can't why can't there be a different kind of revolution? Yes. Uh, that maybe 30 years from now, people will go, boy, back in 2021, we never thought that it would look like this. And, and look how look how things changed. And um, yeah, you know, there's there, there's no particular reason why it can't be. Yes. So, yes, let's let's, let's make it be. Amen. OK. Anything that we haven't talked about that you want to bring in the conversation? Any, any well, main I, points heading? I, I just I wanted to, to to say this. I hope this isn't uh, uh, too off off track. But even when we were chit chatting before we came on air, Chris, yeah. uh, one of the things I think might be helpful for for people to get their heads around what's going on is there's uh, a, a great Catholic thinker, uh, Rene Girard, yeah, uh, who is really a a literary scholar, but but came to a kind of theory of why social conflict exists. And I think it really is illustrated in our times. So and people are curious, if you want a very short introduction to Girard, go to YouTube and look up Bishop Barron, uh, talk about Rene Girard. Rene is R-E-N-E and Girard is G-I-R-A-R-D. And Bishop Barron has a very nice 10 minute video that lays out Girardian theory. Um, which goes like this, Gerard, in his study of literature, what he finds is that um, conflict occurs because people want the same things. And simply the fact that you want something makes me want to have it. And the example people mm. always use is one kid is playing with a toy. Kid number two had no interest in that toy until he saw kid number one play with it. And so suddenly true. conflict ensues. And yes. all of us who have kids... Uh, Rick, I just had that happen in my, uh, in my house yesterday between, uh, one of my kids and the neighbor kid, uh, suddenly somebody, suddenly a uh, Thomas, a tank engine, nobody cared about five minutes ago, became, uh, uh, came a subject of blows. Um, but anyhow, um, and so that creates conflict. Well, how do we, how do we get rid of that conflict? Well, we come up with a scapegoat, which is of course an obvious biblical reference. We yeah. come up with a scapegoat. The reason there's conflict is because of that person, right? And so we can reduce our conflict by sort of transferring it onto this third scapegoat person. Yeah. They're the ones to blame, right? And what Gerard said is you know, through history, then there's violence against that scapegoat, mm. right? And this is sort of cathartic. It's this release of tension by the violence against this person. I think we can see obvious political implications of that. Yes, Jews in Nazi Germany or uh, the Kulaks in, in Soviet Russia are, are great examples of this. Why are things bad for you? Because of these people. Attack them. Yeah. And what Gerard says is that now this sets up a cycle of violence, mm. right? Once you get to catharsis, the conflict is only going to come back because it's part of human nature that, that, we, that we desire what other people have. And we're going to create conflict. There's going to have to be another scapegoat. There's going to be you know, a release. Then there's going to be more conflict, another scapegoat release. Except that into history entered Jesus Christ. Mm. Mm. And Jesus Christ says, I will be the scapegoat. Yes. Right? Amen. And so we've got the scapegoat of all scapegoats, if you will. Yes. And we don't need to scapegoat each other anymore because our conflicts, our sins are forgiven by Jesus Christ. We put them on Jesus Christ and say, thank you for dying for our sins. Now my sins are forgiven. I don't have to blame the the, the Jew, the, the Kulak, the you know, whoever. Pick your, your favorite repugnant cultural other. 
uh, you know, I don't have to blame them anymore because we've all, we are all guilty of sin and we are all forgiven of sin because of Jesus Christ. And now we can, what we were talking about before, now we can enter into a fellowship of love because Jesus has done this, has done this for us. Amen. Amen. Uh, so grateful that you brought, brought that in. I'm just like, We've got everything we need, really, to yep. actually handle the, handle this particular moment in yeah. in human history. Yep. Dr. Schaff, this was just a great conversation. So grateful to you, uh, as always, for joining our program. I'm always happy when you ask me to have on, Chris. Good time. Thank you, dear listeners, for tuning in. Do you ever, you know, we kind of just talked about, um, you know, is something just a taboo? Okay. Can, can we actually explain our faith? Can we explain what we believe? Can we articulate it in terms of, you know, just rationality with logic, with um, pointing at God's love uh, and revelation. So we go to the gym, right, to like work out and and build our muscles. But do we do we have the same sort of thing uh, for for the exercise of our of our mind? You know, I want to invite you if you uh, if you haven't um, if you've considered this you know as a possibility, but but need more encouragement. We've got this we've got this gym for our minds. The South Dakota Catholic Conference is hosting a, a reading circle. We meet via Zoom. We've, we're kind of meeting through the fall, and we're about to jump into some great speeches of Alexander Solzhenitsyn for the next couple of weeks, mentioned uh, by Dr. Schaff earlier in this show. And following uh, our exploration of Solzhenitsyn, we're going to be reading a book called Social Justice Isn't What You Think It Is by Dr. Michael Novak. Um, so if, you, if this is of interest to you, don't hesitate to reach out to me. It's uh, C-M-O-T-Z, C-Motes, at sdcatholicconference.org. Send me a note, and I'll send you the the contact information, the Zoom link, and the details and whatnot for uh, for this gym for our minds. Until next time, dear listeners, live well. Mm-hmm.